Well, hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Views from the Crow's Nest. This podcast is an in-house production of Fisher Jordan, which is a specialized consulting firm based in New York with emphases in strategy, analytics, and technology. You can find out more about Fisher Jordan, including our approach to delivering client value, career opportunities, and our work within our communities online at fisherjordan.com. That's F-I-S-C-H-E-R, Jordan, J-O-R-D-A-N.com. This episode is another installment of our Mess Hall series, the name, of course, being a play on the military term for where meals are eaten amid lots of boisterous conversations also taking place. But because we are very clever and very hilarious here at Fisher Jordan, we're spelling it wrong because in these episodes, we're hauling in a whole mess of topics and sorting through them. Get it? Mess Hall? It's fine. I'll move on. So rather than having only one main topic that we cover in depth, this is meant to be a more free-form discussion featuring quick takes on a handful of recent topics, an opportunity for shorter, more opinionated discussion with a number of different perspectives after some light research with members of our team. That's the mess hall. This is Views from the Crow's Nest. Let's get into it. All right. Well, welcome, everybody, to this second edition of the Mess Hall here on Views from the Crow's Nest. Everyone, go ahead and introduce yourselves to get us started. Hi, this is Jivraj. I'm an associate at Fisher Jordan currently. Hi, I'm Archita. I've been working with Fisher Jordan for the last two years. Glad to be here. Hey, this is Boaz, partner with Fisher Jordan out of New York City. And Boaz, at this point, you're, I'm, I'm considering you basically my co-host on these, but we're probably still going to force you to introduce yourself on all of them as we go. Anyway, uh, welcome. Thanks for jumping in here. We have a, a handful of topics that we're going to riff on today, and I'm excited to see where the conversation goes. And I think the first thing that uh, we wanted to get into is whether we are headed for another antitrust cycle, this time with big tech players. Um, I want to hear what you think about that. Uh, what are some positives and negatives that could come about in the aftermath? How long has it been since we've been in an antitrust cycle? All that. So what do you think? Seems that way to me. See, we are seeing the big tech companies trying to crush the competitors because they have a lot of data about their consumers. I, I also agree that we might be heading towards antitrust cycle. And uh, I think it's being after Microsoft that we are seeing this. There is no denial in that big tech players have done off data and right now the data is like gold. Do you include Microsoft as, as one of the potential targets or do you consider them separate? I consider them separate. Right now I feel Google, Facebook and Amazon would be the one considered in this cycle because they just dominate one of the massive uh, domain and uh, looks like everything is dependent on them. And Microsoft, you were bringing up, I'm assuming in the context of what happened 20 years ago when they forced Bill Gates out. Yeah. So I'll agree with you that that was probably the last major antitrust action that was taken. It was part of a long series. I mean, the, historically, you can look back, I think starting with I think Standard Oil was probably the first big monopoly that was um, broken up by regulators. In fact, I think the, the original Antitrust Act was passed specifically in order to break up Standard Oil, if I recall correctly. 
Yeah, um, I think antitrust laws are like 100 years old. Yeah, 130 now, actually. But then there have been a, a few others. So when I was growing up, it was AT&T back in the 80s. So AT&T had control of um, uh, both local telephone and long distance telephone at the time, which sounds ridiculous now because today all, almost all the calls happen over the internet. But back then it was, it was pretty much the only means of communication that people had uh, besides face-to-face. So then they broke it up into the, what was called the baby bells, which is like, you know, these days it's like the Southwestern Bell, Verizon, Pacific Bell, the, like those companies, which today those companies in, uh, themselves are, you know, for the most part, Fortune 100 companies. But um, that just goes to show you the scale of, of what AT&T was back then, because it included both those companies as well as like, almost anything that you would consider to be like long distance communication today would have been part of the AT&T back then. So that was a big breakup. So that was in the eighties, I believe. And then before that, there was a big one against Kodak. Uh, Kodak controlled a large part of the photography market and they were broken up by regulators. So there were, there were kind of a long line of companies. So it's, it's by no means a unique situation what we have today, but I guess my question would be, have the tech companies become more politically savvy? Have they become better at kind of walking the line so as to avoid that kind of action by regulators? And, and my data point would actually be, I'll use your data point, Archid, I'll point to Microsoft. So even though Microsoft back in the late 90s was, you know, they were exhibiting all the characteristics of a, of a traditional monopoly, including large market share, almost unlimited pricing power and the ability to push out competitors at will, they were able to sidestep that. I mean, yes, Bill Gates had to leave, but they were able to keep, you know, pretty much a hundred percent of their business intact. So did that represent a transition point where the, the tech companies were starting to become politically savvy back then to be able to, to avoid a worst case scenario from their perspective and then in, in the intervening 20 years, have they become even more politically savvy to the point where now such an action is extremely unlikely? Yeah, like I agree with you. Nowadays, it's very difficult to like, you know, establish or prove that uh, some company is doing against it or, you know, what data points you have to show that they are doing a monopoly or they are eliminating the competitors. So it becomes more difficult uh, in breaking uh, these tech players. Also, uh, it like historical, as you mentioned, Boaz, it looks like uh, it's like a cycle, like whichever companies grow big or it becomes in that industry, it ultimately get broken down by the regulators. And it looks like a balance. Right now, also, there's a lot of discussions going on, like. Uh, People are claiming that Amazon is using its uh, seller's data to uh, basically analyze and get uh, the information and then using it for its in-house store. But uh, how do you prove it? That, again, becomes a very difficult situation. Do you guys feel like we are in an antitrust cycle right now or that, that there's still more, more yet to come uh, in terms of, of action taken? I honestly think we are at the start of the antitrust cycle because 
if you look like uh, 10 or say 15 years back, people were not that knowledgeable about the data, what their data, actually their own data represents and all the tech companies that we see, which are pretty big right now, these are started around that duration, like, like Facebook or Google. As these companies grew, they understood the importance of their data. They are leveraging that data to create a monopoly in the market. And we are currently on the verge, the normal regulators or public are currently understanding, let's say if you look at starting last five years, they started to understand that these companies are actually using that data to leverage, to increase the market share, to increase their business and create a monopoly in the market itself. So I think it's a start of the entire cycle and there's more yet to come. Do you guys think it is, uh, it is not good, like uh, having these big players in the market, they've made our life also very easy in terms of free access to all the information. Everyone can, uh, like everyone can start their business freely. Like there's so much good as well in that. So I feel like if these regulators come in, some of those things that we are easily accessing or which we take for granted will, will might get removed. Like for example, for Amazon, like anyone can register their business with it. You don't need any setup. Uh, Amazon take care of it. If you're a small business, you can register to it and take care about all the logistics for you. And if a lot of regulations start getting put on Amazon, the things that they are easily providing you in terms of maybe using your data that might be removed because now they're not getting anything in return. So some of like Gmail that we access for free or the Google Maps that we all rely on, uh, there might be some restrictions on how uh, they provide that information to us. It's interesting to think about the trade-offs, right? The things that we benefit from right now, there's there's also something that we are giving in exchange. Um, there's there's not really any such thing as a free product, right? The and I think the saying goes like, if if it's free, then you're the product. I definitely think that uh, there's potential for that landscape to shift. Maybe it would look like things that we currently use for free, then you have to pay some sort of a subscription to kind of like uh, Microsoft OneDrive. Same thing with like Microsoft in general, like the, the product is still available to you, but um, at, a, at a financial cost. And I don't know, I, I think I'm curious about that because I think it, it affords a little bit more transparency in some ways where you, you know exactly what you're exchanging and I realize that all these companies have privacy policies that lay out exactly what what you are giving them. But I do question how how well people grasp the implications of it. Not everyone knows exactly what it means when they agree to share, for instance, their their location data with an online service. I don't think that everyone fully grasps what the kind of second and third order consequences of that might be. Other thing I can think of is we are using them for free and uh, in return they are storing our data, but we all know what a data leak can cause. That could itself have massive impact. So even Google Chrome allows us to save our credit card details, right? So if by chance that data is to get data gets leaked somehow, 
everyone would be in massive trouble, right? Everyone would end up losing a lot of money. So when we say that we are getting free and we are getting a lot of easy things done easily, but it also comes with a price with that again, that there are a lot of risks involved which are known and some are unknown. The variables, we are not accounting for all the variables per se. But I don't agree that if you pay for something, then they are not using your data. Basically, like for example, uh, we pay for Netflix, but Netflix also monitors all your activities on its website. What kind of shows you like, their recommendation, uh, at what time you like to watch things, whatever the original content that they are producing, it is based on things that people like. So they're anyways going to, like there's still not a lot of transparency about what type of data they're using, how they're using it. And again, not everyone understands all the technicalities that are involved. Like you have such a long agreement that nobody reads it. So uh, saying that if you're paying for it, it guarantees that you know you, they're not going to use the, your information. I, I don't believe in it, that it would be 100% true. Well, they so when we pay for uh, the services, my understanding is they won't sell your data to third parties, but evidently they would internally use your data. I think that's kind of given or, um, I mean, uh, nobody again reads the clause that I mentioned, like long clauses. So they might even say in that clause itself that yeah, we'll use for internal purposes. Like when we call to customer care, we get a disclaimer at the end uh, or at the start that this call will be recorded for internal training purposes. So something like that again, I see. But then we again come back to the same question. These big tech players, if they're storing all your information for their internal purpose, they will be having the monopoly on it because they own your data. So it's like we are in the cycle itself if there are no regulations against using it uh, or there are certain laws like how you can use it, on what purpose you can use it. I agree there are like, you know, apart from Chrome, there are other browsers available, but uh, how many people use it? Most of the people use Chrome only. So Google will still have all your information. With Google, you use Chrome or not, unless you use Yahoo, Google will anyways have your information because we forgot the word search by using Google. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's why it's like high time that we realize this and there are some actual regulations which, you know, clearly defines what can be used and how it can be used. Yeah, I think this this idea of questions that we've never really had to ask before of who should own your data. I know that that's one of the questions that's kind of at the center of a lot of the, the conversations around blockchain. So I do wonder what the answer is. If companies no longer have a right to own your data and, and to kind of set their own terms for how how that gets used, what comes next is the next thing like some sort of move to put the management of your own data into your hands 
Is there going to be some sort of intermediary that kind of decides on your behalf how companies can use it? I think there's a lot of interesting implications there. We're, we're just at the beginning of this conversation. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Nathan. And in fact, like there's been this discussion that like we were discussing antitrust laws were written way back around 130 years ago. So things that were there are not even applicable today. So we need to modify those laws, make them relevant to current times. And uh, it's not a very easy problem to solve or fix because there are so many implications on it. So it would be very interesting to see how this will go. All right. I think we've we've spent a decent amount of time on this topic and I'd like to move us along. I like this topic of frontline issues in the world of technology development. And anytime you talk about tech and what's going on right now, eventually the topic of artificial intelligence and machine learning or AI ML is going to come up. Obviously, a lot of people are writing very in-depth analyses of stuff that's going on in that field. I'd just like us to talk about kind of a general overview. What are some emerging issues or opportunities that we see or that we're interested in um, that are brought on by the continued acceleration of that field? So I guess one of the things that we're seeing is... um... A lot of companies, especially in the lending space or financial services, uh, seem to be hesitant to fully deploy this technology because of perceived biases in, in how these algorithms make uh, make decisions, especially if it's you know credit decisions or um, you know access to banking services and stuff like that. I think Apple had a famous um, launch or mislaunch where they were biased on based on um, male female grounds and that that was due to i think it was an ai algorithm that that was uh driving that so you know just just there have been a few very like visible ex- examples and i think a lot of the because of those a lot of the players have kind of pulled back since then yeah i feel the main reason for that is like ai is like a black box nobody uh, understands completely how a decision has been taken. Like if you would like to trace back on different parameters, uh, how it has derived on that decision, it's very difficult. It's not transparent that you can see and understand. So as Boz mentioned, that's the, I feel the biggest reason why many companies are not uh, very open in completely going to AI ML model because it doesn't give them full transparency that they used to have in the usual regression models. What I want to point out is AI is something that we created or we are creating, like human is creating. We can add all the intelligence we have, but we cannot add emotional quotient to it. So when the AI would make decision, it would solely based on the data and how we train the model to run. So when we speak about the bias itself, so one thing is that how the data is being represented and other being how the model is being trained. So that's one thing. So and other is for AI, mostly the things are one or zero. It's 
there's nowhere between it's black or white the gray areas are minimal i think quite the negatives overweigh the positives there so you just against are you just against ai in general well i am not against ai in general but i'm with limited or controlled use how to have human intelligence at some point we're still in the process of shaping where AI is going to go, what it's going to be capable of. I think we're starting to to realize that there's a little more nuance to to the concerns beyond like, oh, if we if we start using this technology, then you know the next thing you know, uh, we're going to be in some sort of war against the machines. I mean, is that possible? Sure, but I I also appreciate the nuances that are starting to come out like what we were talking about earlier like hey if we are having and if we're having this uh technology making decisions in instances where bias can come into play how are we the people who are training the ai essentially we we need to be aware of like how we are training them to make these decisions and are there ways that we now need to be more aware of our own biases and how to keep those out of the development process of a machine that's going to do exactly what you tell it to do. I agree, Nathan. Like the model that you have created is as good as the data that you are training it with. If your data is good, your model will work. And if your data is bad, it contains bias, then your model will show that. So I think right now the main problem that many people are facing in implementing ai models is is getting the correct data because there is no scarcity of the data around you but having a data in the format that you can use it it's it's becoming very rare there's so much noise it's so unclean that it's very difficult to actually use it before putting a lot of efforts in making it usable so the whoever or basically the data on which we are training our models we have to ensure that they does not contain any biases and that can be done when someone do a very uh, deep dive into the data that they are actually using like the, it should be supervised it shouldn't be like you are uh, feeding something and it's not getting regulated you have to do basically checks on it and ensure that there is no uh biasness and their data is good so you have you have this ai ml all these things are basically just computate at, at the end of the day they're, they're just computational techniques right you know i have a data set i need to pick between people who are gonna pay back the loan and people that are not gonna pay back the loan and, and this is like a computational technique to try to do as good a job as possible of of separating those two groups, right? At at the most basic level, you know, whatever metric you set, whether it's the percentage lift, whether it's the the area under the gains chart, or whatever other met- success metric you want to use, um, I don't think anyone would argue that these techniques are capable of producing statistically better results than. Um, any of the the traditional kind of more manual modeling techniques that we have available. Do you agree with that, Archana? Yeah, I agree. Okay, so the the issue is now um, those those decisions that are being driven by by these new computational techniques are starting to run up against 
uh, social issues that we have, right? So we don't want to be biased in how we offer credit to, to businesses or to people. We don't want to start World War III or, you know, whatever the social issues are that we have. There, there are social constraints that these kinds of algorithms are not very well suited to, um, to, to incorporating or taking into account, right? But I guess the question would be, are, are we kind of exposing something broader, which is that maybe our, our whole economic system is not very well suited to uh, accommodating those kinds of social priorities. So maybe those social priorities need to happen outside the realm of free market capitalism. Because at the end of the day, you have a, a set of companies that supposedly these companies are here to maximize profits. I mean, they're always going to be some overlays, you know, you're going to take into account the effect on, on the environment, uh, you know, um, employee satisfaction, stuff like that. But for the most part, most companies kind of are there to try to op operate within a capitalistic system to maximize profits. And now there's this tool out there that, and, and companies are afraid to use the tool, even though the tool is very powerful. Um, and it's not even, it's not even that you can point and say, I'm not going to use the tool because of problem X, because problem X can always be solved, you know, through for various kinds of analytical techniques. It's, it's more of this ambiguous fear where because I don't have control or full visibility into how the, the AI algorithm is making decisions, there's some unknown problem down the line that could occur. And therefore, I'm just going to steer clear of that technology altogether. And to me, that's that seems to be putting the cart before the horse a little bit because in order to make progress we're always going to have to kind of embrace new technologies you know along with the risks that that they bring along and then you know trust that we'll be able to deal with the risks um either at the company level or at the social level when they arise so i guess that's that's the issue that i have i, I can see this technology being very powerful and possibly being under leveraged because of a set of concerns that are not necessarily well-defined at this point. Yeah, because I agree with what you are saying, like just because of the fear of unknowns, we shouldn't stop using something which is good and can make our decisions more powerful or can help us uh, in growing. I feel it's more about making the whole uh, thing more explainable and more transparent. If people understand what's happening behind uh, the models, it, it not necessarily has to be step by step, but it, it can, if it can be explained in simpler terms, people would start trusting it more. And uh, I agree with the point uh, that you raised about uh, the biasness. It's not that model is biased. It's basically the data that you are feeding is biased. The example that you gave uh, it was because so uh, one of the company was using uh, the AI model to predict which is the more favorable candidate uh, to give an offer. And the data set that they used was 10 years back. And at that time, the female candidates applying for a position were way less as compared to male candidates. So the model used to prefer male candidate over a female candidate. So as time changes, we have to keep or put that factor also into account into a model that it doesn't do these biasness. So it's not that it wasn't working as intended. It was, it 
it wasn't fed the right thing so i i am not at all against it i feel it's it's actually it it, it has make our life very easy we are just surrounded by it that we have stopped noticing uh, how small small things were dependent on it so i feel the main issue is to make it more uh, understandable so that people can start trusting it and making it more supervised so that all the biases that we were discussing or all the social issues that we know that we are not putting those into our models what do you think jivraj are you going to allow ml into your life or you're just going to you're going to opt out Please. how to draw a line somewhere that like there's some part that you have to make decision some part like alexa can make the decision for me right so there has to be some boundary where we would use human intelligence or artificial intelligence so jivraj are you in favor of um regulating saying like like in this context here's where the line is drawn and and no further that line has to be well thought of like using ai in medtech it will be extremely helpful and it's quite going on right now so you probably don't have to use the guinea pigs or lab rats to test a drug you could basically run the simulations and test the drug right simulations on the profile of different people and based on that you get to the understanding that the drug is effective or not but coming to the other part that we were discussing in defense or in uh, fintech if the data itself is creating a bias then maybe that's when we draw a line we have to and like ajita said we will have to use cleaner data supervised data unbiased data to make the decisions using ai so as you're assuming we're not simulations already Uh, <laughs> that's really difficult question no sir but maybe if we are simulations then i don't know <laughs> like what the simulations that we are running what would be called them i just have one quick question maybe to close this off which is are there any historical examples of of a technology that has been successfully limited or curtailed or boxed in uh so to speak either by society or by its government an immediate thing that occurs to me is nuclear technology you know what kind of gave gave us the cold war the you know the mutually assured destruction idea that was the thing that kind of held everything in check like no one no one really wants to kind of tip that first domino and that's what what gave us all those tensions between nations so that i think is more of a, more of a social societal uh pressure but i'm actually at, that's a great question because i'm actually hard pressed to think of instances where the the advancement of a technology has been severely held back by government intervention yeah and even with nuclear you see how how hard it is for us to try to prevent someone like iran from acquiring it um and there've been a lot of countries that we've tried and failed like north korea uh pakistan so so even there you could argue maybe we've tried to limit its spread but the success has been pretty limited it seems like and and by the way nuclear is complicated right because nuclear 
you got to get the the radioactive active materials then you have to be able to separate them then you have to be able to engineer the bomb then you have to be able to test the bomb it, it's a lot more complicated than running some ml script on your laptop right and even that we have a hard time with with limiting it so i guess i'm questioning whether as a as a society we're even capable of of limiting a technology like this well, it's certainly a good question, but we will probably have to cover that on a different one because we are basically out of time for right now. But Boaz, Archita, Jivraj, thank you for jumping on here and being a part of this conversation today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Nathan. Good stuff. Well, that about does it for this second edition of the Mess Hall here on Views from the Crow's Nest. Thanks again to Archita, Jivraj, and Boaz for being a part of the discussion. Thanks again for listening here on Views from the Crow's Nest. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you shared it with a friend or colleague. Writing a review or leaving a rating on whichever podcast app you use also helps this podcast become more discoverable to new listeners. As a reminder, you can always find and subscribe to Views from the Crow's Nest on all major streaming platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. And of course, you can always access it directly via podcast.fisherjordan.com. Finally, if you have any comments or questions on today's episode, or even if you have a suggested topic for our next view from the crow's nest, feel free to send us an email, engage at fisherjordan.com, and we will see you from the crow's nest.